Freedom Hut. Woodward says, once again, worse than Watergate. Portland bans facial recognition, smearing the Sturgis rally, masking 19-month-olds on planes, and why is cancel Netflix trending? This, this is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission, or mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome, friends, to the Buck Sexton Show. Great to have you here with me. As always, an honor, a privilege, and a pleasure. Bob Woodward, famous for Watergate, which was a long time ago now. And he likes to appear on CNN because... The journalists revere this guy. He is their patron saint, in a sense, even more so than Edward R. Murrow or any of the rest, because Woodward brought down a Republican president. Trust me, if he had brought down a Democrat, he'd be living in a cabin in the woods somewhere under a new name, having grown facial hair to obscure his identity. Right. But if you're useful to the left, if the Democrats find you to be somebody who does their bidding, They will forever honor and take care of you as long as you're useful. And Bob Woodward, because he has this this aura of the president ender, right? He can end a presidency. They like to trot him out. But the problem with Woodward right now is that they've done this how many times during the Trump presidency? Let's just go over for a moment, shall we? All the reasons why now he's finished. Now Trump is done. This time he's gone too far. Well, there was uh, Russia collusion, a lie. The whole thing was a hoax. It was a witch hunt. That was true. But there was that. And then there was the uh, comments that he made during the campaign. Oh, way too far. He's gone too far uh, about whether it's Kazir Khan. And then later on, when he became president, the comments he made at Charlottesville. Oh, it's all it's worse than what they lied about his comments at Charlottesville. You're noticing a pattern, aren't you? If Trump were so awful, I mean, just just apply reason and rationality to this for a moment. If Trump were so terrible, why did they have to keep lying about him? Isn't that noteworthy? Isn't that uh, something that would come to mind? Pretend for a second you don't even support or, or defend Trump in any way. But wouldn't that make you suspicious if you had a colleague in the office? And someone that you worked with was saying, that guy, he's the worst. He's the worst person in the office. And, the, you know, the colleague who's talking the trash kept lying and you knew he was lying. Wouldn't you uh, start to think maybe the guy that's being defamed is not the problem? That's certainly what we've seen with Trump in all of this. That's the truth of this current situation, that. If he were as bad as they say, well, then obviously we wouldn't want him to be president and he wouldn't be in a very strong position already to win reelection. But they lie about him. And one of their favorite points of attack against him is how much he lies. And they don't understand that if you're somebody who has a very weak relationship with the truth, which our media and the Democratic Party clearly does, people aren't just going to take your word for it that somebody else has problems with their veracity. And then that brings us to this Woodward allegation and what we're all being told here. Oh, well, well, first, we need to hear it from him, right? Uh, We need to hear it from him. 
We need to have Woodward tell us this. We need to have Bernstein tell us this. Uh, Play, what is it now? Play clip 14. It is a dereliction of duty recorded as no other presidential dereliction of duty has been, even more so than the Nixon tapes in this instance. So it's going to be very hard to see how uh, this cannot be addressed by Republicans in particular and their candidate for president of the United States. The last time this happened, uh, during Nixon's, the end of Nixon's presidency, the Republican leadership, including Barry Goldwater, the 1964 nominee of his party for president, went to the White House and told Nixon he had to resign. And the facts here are even graver than in Watergate. Even graver. Woodward Birdstein, baby, coming out telling us even graver than Watergate. Of course. There you have it. What else do you need to know? Oh, my gosh. Is he, well, then, of course, Trump should resign now. Is that, you know, they impeached him and it was a joke. They had a special counsel against him and it was preposterous. And now they've written a book, one of many. I mean, you're every week you can expect another big media bombshell about how Trump is worse than Hitler. And, and the media gets even more irate when we look at this and say, you can't tell us every week that this is the worst thing ever about Trump and expect us to believe that you have good judgment. Expect us to believe that you live media are sane. We're not going to believe you. We're not going to think that your uh, your approach to this is reasonable. Quite the opposite. But Bernstein's coming out, Woodward, Woodward's book, Bernstein's analysis. Oh, it's just like the Nixon era, worse than the Watergate tapes. How stupid do they think we are? Now, look, there's clearly a benefit for them to do this because they, they feed this analysis to their own, their own side. They feed this analysis to the people who are obsessed, quite honestly obsessed with an endless diet of anti-Trumpism. The more the more you can give them that supports this theory that Trump is the worst person in history, the happier they are. But we're in the election cycle now, and ultimately this is all for a purpose, right? And the turnout of the extreme left libs in the blue states is pretty much a fait accompli. I mean, no one really expects that there's not going to be a lot of angry, Antifa-supporting, BLM-loving, liberal lunatic showing up to vote for Biden. But when you're looking at those swing states and you're looking at what's going to be the difference maker here, none of this, is, none of this stuff matters. It's not going to change any minds or opinions. And part of this is the desperation the media has to reassert lost power. They like to think that they're at least able to control the conversation about a presidency and that if they went all in against a president as they have against Donald Trump, they could defeat him. But they can't. At least they weren't able to before. They're hoping to be able to do it this time. And the desperation is only going to grow the closer to this we get. I saw the latest polls today, the toss up states. And I, I, there's so many polls. I can't remember which one this was, but the, the toss up states are uh, Florida, North Carolina, Ohio is trending Republican, uh, but there are there are only a handful of states that are really totally up for grabs right now. 
that are going to be meaningful in all of this. And there are a whole lot that are leaning Republican or leaning Democrat that obviously could switch. But now it's all about the scoreboard, folks. It's all about winning. And I'll just say this now. I, I am certainly not tired of winning. I am not tired of it. The president said at some point we'll be there, maybe after four more years. But for right now, we need to batten down the hatches and prepare for the onslaught of propaganda and lies that are coming our way. We have to get ready for all of this with our shields high, prepared for anything and everything. Because last time they thought cruise control would get it done. Last time they assumed if only things continued as they were, Hillary Clinton hello, would be president of the United States. What happened? Was well, she lost? This time around, they're leaving nothing to chance. They are colluding behind the scenes every day where there's quiet every day where you feel like it's kind of a boring news cycle. Just remember that thousands and thousands of paid left wing activists who call themselves journalists are gathering in newsrooms and at different cable news stations and in Hollywood and you name it. All the different hubs of communication, taste making and places that are able to engage in propaganda. They're they're all. All hands on deck. And they're going to do everything they can to defeat this guy. This Woodward book, we won't even remember it in a week or two. I know they're going to they're going to do this drip drip of, oh, and then there's another thing that's terrible. Oh, and then there's another thing that's terrible. We care about how the president has done in office. That's where this should actually be fought. That's what's uh, really at issue. But instead, the, the focus of the anti-Trump left is always a thing that someone says he said that can't be confirmed or a thing that he did say, in this case on the record and taped, that is completely taken out of context. Let's remember, let's remember this be, before we have to continue to defend against these unfair smears. I mean, the media pulling clips of Trump from February of 2020 and presenting them out of context to make him look reckless on covid. This is pure election propaganda. You could do this to every single public figure who spoke about covid back then. Fauci, Dr. Fauci said it was like, hey, it's no big deal. The CDC told us don't wear masks. They even told us it was Wrong to wear masks because we're going to be taking them from essential frontline workers. It's just completely and utterly transparently dishonest. But you're going to see so much of that. And remember this, friends. They don't have to win the argument. They just have to beat you down with the arguments. They don't have to convince you. They just have to overwhelm you. That's what's really going on right now. That's the flood the zone kitchen sink, everything they've got strategy to defeat Donald Trump. So don't become demoralized. Don't feel like it can't happen or there's just too much. Or what did we learn in 2016? If we stick to our guns, if we stay with our with our convictions, we will get through this and you'll have four more years. But man, it's going to be nasty. I mean, this is going to be a bar fight that Nobody's going to enjoy, but we got to win it. You're in the Freedom Hut. 
This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Speaking of Dr. Fauci, not a man that you would ever think would rush to the president's defense on anything. Not somebody that any intelligent, reasonable human being would ever say is a pro-Trump partisan. But when you're thinking about the Fauci, you got to remember, oh, he's already come out there and said this whole Trump. Remember, the, the allegation here is that Trump dishonestly downplayed the virus. What's the strategy here? No one ever answers that question. You're going to tell everybody, oh, it's no big deal in February and hope they don't notice all the infections and people dying in March and April and May. No. What's a realistic explanation for this? The president was trying to avoid panicking people while he was taking government action based upon the experts that he inherited from our health bureaucracy. But there's one health bureaucrat who's at least willing to say that, no, sorry, this whole Woodward thing about how he played something down. It's not true. Play seven. I don't recall anything different than in our discussions that we had with the president that he said things quite similar publicly. So I, I you know, I, I didn't read the book. I didn't really go over mm-hmm. any of the text since it just came out. But, you know, when in my discussions and the discussions of other task force members with the president, uh, we're talking about the reality of what was going on. And then when we would get up in front of of the press conferences, which were very, very common after our discussions with the president, he really didn't say anything different than we discussed when we were with him. So I, I'm, I may not be tuned in to the right thing that they're talking about, but I didn't really see any discrepancies between what he told us and what we told him and what he ultimately came out publicly and said. So did you get a sense that he was or wasn't playing this down? No, 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 I didn't. Uh, I didn't get any sense that he was distorting anything. I mean, in my discussions with him, they were always straightforward about the, the concerns that we had. We related that to him. And uh, when he would go out, I'd hear him discussing the same sort of things. Was Trump distorting things? Here is the president's chief scientific advisor on all of this saying, no, he wasn't. So what are we even talking about? Shouldn't this be case closed? Shouldn't this be what's all the hubbub? Oh, of course not, because this is all for a purpose. And the purpose is not the truth. As people have pointed out, including the president who pointed out before, uh, isn't it interesting? Um, And I got a retweet from the president today, just saying. But uh, isn't it interesting that Bob Woodward would be willing to hold on to all of this? Willing to hold on to all of this for months and months and months to make sure that he could drop it with his book sales, you know, to, to make sure that it would benefit him. If the president was really that clear and present a danger to public health, wouldn't Woodward, as a journo who's supposed to be speaking the truth to the public so they can make informed decisions for our democracy, wouldn't a journo have to come forward right away and say, guys, I'm, the president's lying to you about this virus and, and he's putting your lives at risk? If you really believe that right away, wouldn't you be a, a moral monster to hold on to that information? I think the answer is most decidedly yes. And so what does that tell us about this? All these books that you see that are, you know, these anti-Trump books, they always have to sell them with one or two juicy tidbits. There's always one or two things that they'll throw into the mix that's, ooh, here's the big bombshell revelation. And people buy the book, they realize it's slapdash, not that interesting, 
a lot of uh, just trying to fill up space on the pages to justify the $25, uh, $25 hardcover price. And you realize the revelations weren't even really revelations. Trump, way back when, uh, was dealing with Jim Acosta, the hostile press corps, in the early days of the pandemic. And this is what he said about his response to this. Play clip one. What do you well, say to Americans who believe that you got this wrong? And I do want them to stay calm. And we are doing a great job. If you look at those individual statements, they're all true. Stay calm. Uh, it will go away. You know, it, you know it is going away. And it will go away. And we're going to have a great victory. And it's people like you and CNN that say things like that, that uh, it's why people just don't want to listen to CNN anymore. You could ask a normal question. The statements I made are, I want to keep the country calm. I don't want panic in the country. I could cause panic much better than even you. I could do much. I would make you look like a minor league player. But you know what? I don't want to do that. I want to have our country be calm and strong and fight and win. And it will go away. And it is incredible the job that all of these people are doing putting them all together the job that they're doing i am very proud of the job they're doing that mike pence is doing that the task force has done that honeywell and proctor and gamble and mike and all of these people have done i'm very proud it's it's almost a miracle and it is the way it's all come together and instead of asking a nasty snarky question like that you should ask a real question president making very clear that was months and months and months ago it's like yeah i don't want people to panic it is going to go away what's the alternative to it's going to go away it's never going to go away our society is ruined civilization as we know it is over i don't think that would be an intelligent thing for trump to say which is why he didn't which is why he was saying we're going to win but democrats want the country to lose that's the problem Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if we're going to play the what were they saying then about COVID game, remember back in February, Nancy Pelosi, here's, here's what she had to say. Play clip two. You should come to Chinatown. Precautions have been taken by our city. Uh, we know that there is a concern about tourism traveling all throughout the world, uh, but we think it's very safe to be in Chinatown and hope that others will come. She's like the mayor in Jaws who insists on saying over Fourth of July weekend, the beaches will be open. Remember that? <laughs> She's just, uh, she doesn't care at all. Can't come out to, to Chinatown. It's going to be my butler says that he knows a gardener who knows a chauffeur who loves the Lunar New Year Festival. That's great, Nancy. Good job. Good job. Yeah, that's what she was saying. Precautions were taken. Do you think precautions were taken? No. No, they were not. No masks, no social distancing, no nothing. But nonetheless, this is where we are, folks. This is what we are uh, being told now. They're really just hoping that they can they can convince the ignorant and they can demoralize the informed. That's that's the Democrat plan. That's what they're hoping to do. And unfortunately, because they have so many so many allies in the media, including uh, the increasingly odious and stupid uh, Morning Joe over there. Play clip three. 
But Donald Trump says he didn't want Americans to panic. No, he just wanted to sit by and watch them die. <laughs> Hoping the Dow Jones Industrial and the S&P would stay healthy enough to get him reelected. But Americans got sicker by the day. You watched your parents die. Trump wanted to watch your parents and you die. That's what you're being told. That's what you're being told. That's considered commentary on a major news channel. The president doesn't care about a single a single. They, they believe this, by the way. I remember on the Bill Maher show in February when I was on the panel and was you know just being talked over and wasn't you know it's 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 a mess. But you can't show them that you're uh, can't show them you're going to back down. I remember when I was on that panel and they I kept saying, can we all just agree? President Trump doesn't want it's no matter what you think of him morally as president. He doesn't want people to die from this because that hurts his presidency. And we're all pretty sure he likes being president, likes likes being in charge. And they wouldn't concede that. They're like, no, Trump doesn't care. No, no, there was there was no willingness to meet me in the middle or, or just meet, meet me in the, in the realm of sanity where I'm declaring that Trump doesn't want people to die from this. Uh, Chris Hayes, MSN, also at MSNBC, just uh, this morning wrote this on Twitter. Important to keep in mind that not just McConnell, but just about the entire GOP caucus and also all the staffers that work for them are also complicit in the unnecessary deaths of tens of thousands of Americans. Such weasel words, right? Complicit in the deaths of tens of thousands of Americans. How should they be? Should they be criminally charged? What, what is their level of culpability? And I would want to know, is every person who got on a subway or a bus or went to a restaurant or a bar and didn't know they had COVID and coughed on someone? Are they complicit in an unnecessary death to be held morally culpable? That's that's going to be a very large list of people, isn't it? How would you ever know? How could you ever prove it? You can't. But it's about the propaganda. It's not about getting to the truth here. This is going to be a whole new line of attack. It's not just Trump mismanaged the COVID pandemic, they'll say, or that he downplayed the risks from it. Trump is equivalent to a mass murderer. You're going to hear Democrats say that. In fact, just give it time. That term will emerge from the lips of Democrats on television. I would say on radio, but who listens to Democrat radio? Uh, that's going to happen. They don't care that it's reckless. They don't care that it's just a stupid thing to say. In fact, if anything, they enjoy being able to abuse the platforms they have to settle personal scores because they view this president they view this president as worthy of destruction at all costs doesn't matter what they have to do and that's why you have biden for example piling on with the woodward book yeah this is gonna russia collusion didn't do it but the interviews with Bob Woodward, that's the last, that's the last straw. Play 19. It's flat lies. That's wrong. Totally irresponsible. Totally irresponsible. But there'd be a consequence to that. Kick him out of office if you Kick him out of office for this one, Biden says. Kick him out of office. Yeah, that seems fair. 
That seems fair, doesn't it? That doesn't seem completely insane. But what else are they going to say? Vote for the the elderly loser that nobody thinks is impressive in any way, but he's the best we got now because of the situation of the Democrat Party. Well, that, that is pretty much what they're telling you. That's what they're telling you. And, and, you know, the another thing I want you all to be very aware of is the politics, <clears throat> the politics surrounding the vaccine. I mean, this is something that all of us should be prepared for, because this is where you'll see that there are no limits to the Democrats perfidious conduct. There there will be no limits to the extent they're willing to go to in order to convince people that Donald Trump is responsible for the deaths of thousands and thousands of people personally responsible. It's like he ordered them into covid camps or something. That's the attitude. That's going to be the way that they talk about it. You know, they, they have no shame about this. There's there's no part of them that feels even the least bit of remorse for making the suggestions uh, that they do about this president. They, they think it's all absolutely fine. And so I just want to make sure that we're, we're clear they're going to play dirty on that, too. Play uh, for me Nancy Pelosi here. Oh, she's so, so sure that there's uh, going to be a vaccine, but not sure when, right? Doesn't know when it's actually going to happen. And she's watching this program like a hawk because Nancy really knows anything about anything. Play 10. But the fact is, uh, I'm very pleased that AstraZeneca has stopped their their uh, trial because they saw uh, a problem and that needs to be investigated. I'm so proud that the uh, uh, pharmaceutical companies have said they won't market or promote uh, a, a vaccine unless it is uh, properly approved by the uh, independent scientific advisory uh, committee set up for such a thing. They, I'm glad they're saying that because I have concerns about what the president might want to do to the timing and politicizing of the research that is there. Oh, that's right. Trump will rush through an unsafe vaccine. That's Nancy's position. That's what that's what she really believes. Trump will rush through an unsafe vaccine. That's how evil he is. First of all, how would he even do that? All you would need the the drug companies are not going to take the liability. The drug companies are not going to take the risk of putting forward a drug that, let's say, does have adverse reactions in a, enough people that it shouldn't have been approved. They're not going to do that. What, what do you think? Trump's going to have an executive order to override the FDA? I mean, then people really would freak out about this. But no, what are they doing? They're, they're complaining about what Trump will do When no reasonable person thinks he's going to do it. This is kind of a standard operating procedure for them. This is not a new thing. They're trying to tell you, oh, we should criticize him today for what we say he'll do tomorrow, even though it's never going to happen. Surgeon General Jerome Adams was very clear on this. And, you know, there are lives at stake. Our, Our country needs its life back. We need to go back to the way that we have existed for a long time before this pandemic and will for a long time after. But 
at this point, delay is just unnecessary punishment. At this point, delay is making the situation worse. There's no benefit from it. Oh, but Democrats don't care. Here's Surgeon General Jerome, Jerome uh, Adams, play nine. Here's what I can tell you. Uh, as a member of the Coronavirus Task Force, uh, there has been no politicization of the vaccine process whatsoever. Uh, we have a process in place that I trust as a doctor, as a dad. Uh, I'm, I get vaccinated every year. I get my family vaccinated every year. No politicization, he's saying. And now even if you think that Trump is so corrupt and ruthless that he would try to do something here, what would that be exactly? As I said, an executive order to give the vaccine to everybody with the drug company saying it's or with the FDA saying it's not ready would be disastrous for Trump. He knows that. But so what do Democrats want to do? Pretend that, you know, that they want to criticize him for something that he has not done and at least make everyone think, oh, I don't know. Don't don't expect don't expect that the, this project warp speed is going to bear fruit. Don't don't get your hopes up, America. Be depressed. Be upset. Be worried. Let that anxiety just seep through your mind. Let that happen. Because when people are upset and anxious, what do they want? Change. And what would be a way, just a basic human impulse to try to acquire change that's coming up very soon? The election, of course. So that's what they're going to do. Push for everyone to be upset. Because then they think they have a better chance of winning. And all the suffering that occurs between now and then doesn't matter. They, they don't care. And I, and I really mean this. right? They believe because on our side, I, I think that there's always understanding that politicians are imperfect and life is hard. And there are challenges that you can't always uh, meet or succeed in, in getting past. And on the Democrat side of things, it's just defeat Trump, because if we don't, the country's over. If you don't get rid of Trump, everything crumbles and everyone dies. And I know that's hyperbolic and insane, but they're hyperbolic and insane. So I'm just looking at what they're saying and doing and referring to it. I'm just seeing the way things are and having a chat about what I, what I think is actually going on with the Democrat Party. Oh, and then, of course, there's the bill that's supposed to bring relief to people in this current challenging economic climate where are the democrats on that one you may ask you're in the freedom hut this is the buck sexton show podcast is it better to go forward with some no it isn't thank you so much for that question because i hear it a lot and clearly it springs from all the good intentions we all have to help people as soon as we can it does nothing there are millions of kids who are food insecure millions maybe 14 million in our country food insecure he has nothing for that there are millions of their families to be uh, victims of emission uh, evictions because they can't pay the rent they don't care about that wait i'm sorry hold on a second Nancy Pelosi is the one who is stopping money from getting to people. Nancy Pelosi is the one who has at every stage of the relief process played political games. What is a political game? Let's define it. Instead of just dealing with the problem at hand, how to get money in the hands of workers who have lost their jobs, 
because of government policies that, by the way, were unnecessary and stupid to lock us down for months and months. Government has an obligation to help those workers. It's not their fault that they don't have paychecks anymore. It's not their fault that they are going through this economic stress. It is, in fact, the government's fault. But when the government then is supposed to try to make some amends, not that they can fully deal with the situation, Pelosi says, I want, I want a pony. You know, she, there's, there's unreasonable demands. Pelosi's probably got plenty of ponies. I'm sure she owns a ranch somewhere. She has to help take care of the animals, of course. Pelosi throws all this other stuff in the mix. Mitch McConnell sees this. He understands what's going on. Play 15. At this point, it's just silly season on the Democratic side. They've run out of excuses not to legislate. And even their cheap shots just backfire in embarrassing ways. Yep. Cocaine Mitch ain't playing no games. He sees what they're doing. What have I told you about the Make America Miserable Again campaign of the Democrats? They want people to be unhappy. They want them to be unable to pay their bills. They want this unease, this anxiety to continue because they benefit from it. Because they know that that makes it harder for Trump to turn around and say to the American people, look at what a great job I've done, even though I'm just going to say it. Trump has done a very good job as president. Trump is the best Republican president we have had since Ronald Reagan. It's just a fact. It's just reality. Is that does that mean he's perfect? Does that mean I agree with everything? Of course not. But I would never I, w- I wouldn't agree with everything Reagan did either. Reagan signed an amnesty that was a disaster. And he admitted it was a disaster before people say, Mark, don't criticize St. Reagan. Look, no one's perfect. But what they're trying to do here couldn't be any more obvious, I, I think. The moment that you take a step back and say, hold on a second, what's, what's really happening here? You can see they're doing everything in their power. They're using their power to make people upset and frightened and miserable and to turn us against each other. You know, the left's answer is not to stand up and say, we have a better future for America. They're not telling me things are going to be better for me or you. No, Republicans, uh uh-uh. Republicans who earn a paycheck and obey the laws and try to live their lives responsibly. No, you haven't done enough to help those who don't obey the laws. You haven't done enough to subsidize those who don't pay their own bills. Mm -mm. They're not telling us you're lucky if we win because things will get better for you. They're saying our constituencies, the very, very rich and the very, very poor, the elites and the dependent class. That's what makes up the Democrat Party. They, they will benefit at the expense of everybody else. Just like as Bastiat, fantastic book, Bastiat wrote in The Law, the lie that people think they can live at the expense of every other man. Central to the Democrats. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's hear from an unfunny comedian about the situation in this country right now. Oh, I got one for you, Seth Myers. Play clip four. Like any would-be dictator, Trump doesn't care about the public health response to the pandemic or preventing the deaths of hundreds of thousands of Americans unless it benefits him personally. That's why 
She hawked one miracle cure after another, touted by cable pundits and a pillow salesman and a doctor who believes in demon sperm. It doesn't matter that they're crazy or incompetent, just that they praised it. Doesn't care about preventing deaths unless it benefits him. This is a, a common line. It's not just Seth Meyers. Many people will say this. Many people will make this claim on the left. It's stupid. It's not a thing that intelligent people could say. It's not a thing that emotionally healthy people could believe is true. Because, of course, preventing deaths, just just take their premise and work through it. Preventing deaths dramatically benefits the president of the United States. They've created this fiction where unless the president directly makes money off of something, and I guess that's the only thing that benefits him, unless the president's making money off of something, he doesn't care. He's the president, and he was a billionaire before he became president. What are they talking about? If he's all about power, if he's all about staying in office, this is what I tried to explain to the libs at Bill Maher that I mentioned before. Even if you think the president is morally sociopathic, which I do not. I actually think he's a a good guy, but let's put that aside. Even if you thought that was true, saving your people from this virus enormously benefits your election prospects, benefits your, your power. So, so there, it doesn't even make sense. It's kind of like the whole Russia collusion thing. Work that one through for a second. Okay, you're going to be in a tight election, and you're going to work with the Russians, exposing yourself to enormous risk, including you know, criminal risk, going to prison. You're going to work with the Russians in the hopes that they will be able to help you change the election result, and then the Russians at best will have you in their pocket because they will be able to expose this at any point during your presidency. It's a terrible idea. It doesn't even make sense. I mean, this would be like accusing, uh, you know, uh, accusing a bank robber of targeting empty storefronts with nothing inside. Why would he do that? Even if you think he's a bank robber, it doesn't make any sense. The plot doesn't hold together. If this were a movie, you'd say, I'm not buying it. But they still say this stuff doesn't care about preventing death, hawking fake cures. Really, Seth Myers? I know first class doctors, decades in their field in New York City at elite hospitals who personally prescribed and or took hydroxychloroquine themselves. Oh, but it's a, it's all about the doctor who believes in demon sperm and, and they, they you know, they hate Mike Lindell. You know why? Because Mike Lindell doesn't play their game. They hate Mike Lindell because he will sponsor shows on the right even when the left does its little petty crybaby boycott crap. Mike doesn't pull his ads. That's why they hate him. If we had more Mike Lindells, we would have a more robust conservative news media that would be able to go, you know, muzzle to muzzle, so to speak, with the left. But no, we're outnumbered 10 to 1. Because there aren't enough people like Mike Lindell. I mean, there are wonderful sponsors on this show who stay with me even when Sleeping Giants or Media Matters, you know, comes after me. They they don't they don't budge. But Mike's company is a a huge company and and he's 
you know, he's backed Fox News shows when the boycotts have come after them. So that's why they hate him. Do you ever think they talk about his inspiring story? The guy was a, was a heroin addict. And now he's running a company worth, I don't know, hundreds of millions of dollars. But no, they, they, don't, li- they don't like that. Because he's not doing what they want him to. So they, they hate him and they sneer at him. As if they have anything to teach the man, or anyone else for that matter. But you have to just, when you think through these things on your own, when you spend some time thinking through what their allegations are and what's really going on, you'd say, even if I accept some premises that I don't, that Trump is evil, that he's horrible, that he's a bad person, their plan is irrational. The plan that they attribute to Trump is irrational. The motive that they imbue Trump with is absurd. They don't care. They'd rather believe it. They'd rather believe it. They'd rather believe these things. And they also think that anybody who speaks in favor of the president, anyone who tries to back the president up, must also suffer from some grave moral defect. Here's a a CNN anchor. Wait, I thought they were just journos. Ugh, CNN, CNN is the worst. It really is the worst place. Uh, here's one of them going, out, going off on Republican Senator Kennedy. Play 13. Number two, let me say a word about, uh, about this infatuation in Washington with who said what to whom. I learned pretty quickly up here. No, Senator, I'm sorry. I'm not going to let you do this. Okay, this is, I understand there's so much politics right now. We're two months away from an election, but this is life and death. You had 5,000 people that have died in in Louisiana from coronavirus. Republicans Mm -hmm. are reluctant, as you are now, to ever criticize this president. But as a human being, how can you be okay with this? Well, if I could finish my answer. I have learned in Washington, D.C., I'm, I'm, I'm sort of existential or Sartrean about Washington, D.C., uh, to be is to act. Uh, you learn pretty quickly not to judge people up here by what they say. You have to judge them by what they do. And all I can tell you, Pamela, is what my personal experience has been, and, and that is that this administration has been very sp- responsive early on. We were the first ones hit after New York both to the coronavirus and to the damage that we've done my co- to uh, our economy. Now, I understand some people disagree with that, but that's honestly my experience. Why, you moral monster, won't you play the game that we insist you play at CNN? Care about lives, you should trash Trump. Because that's, what all, that's all they do at CNN all day long. It's unhealthy. It's unhealthy, this fixation. It really is like, like OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, rumination all around Donald Trump. That's why the libs are suffering from what you'd have to see as a mental illness. There's something wrong with them. Trump derangement syndrome. We should actually clinically designate this. We should have people study this. It's just not that interesting. Okay? The, the president hasn't ruined all the lives of all these Democrats. The COVID virus has gone all over the world. People have had it all over the world. It's killed more people per capita in many large industrial countries compared to the United States. So this isn't, not, not everyone here has died from COVID, despite what the libs want to believe, because Donald Trump is so evil and mean and bad. But they won't 
They won't see what is reasonable. They won't see what's true. I don't know if they even can. It feels like there's some misfiring of the synapses inside their cortex. You know, it's, it feels like there's something going on that's just not adding up for them. And that, in that sense, I, I, do, I do worry. I do have concerns about whether the left is emotionally healthy enough to withstand. I mean, they're not going to take it gracefully. They're going to try to cheat. They might even try a coup of some kind. They've already tried soft coup attempts against the president. But I, I wonder what they're going to do. I wonder how many of them think that they really are maybe this time going to flee to Canada. They always promise to. They never do. But can they handle living in Trump's America for four more years? If it bothers them so much, why not just tune it out and let governors like Newsom and Cuomo actually ruin their day-to-day lives by making sure there's not enough electricity, the taxes are too high, the streets are too dirty, the cops are undermined. You know, that's all not from Trump. That's from Democrats that Democrats are electing. We want to talk about ruining your day-to-day, putting you in real jeopardy and hurting your future. Making your, your current existence less safe, less prosperous, and less joyful than it could be. Look to the state level. Look to these blue-governed hellholes that are hemorrhaging people. And those of you listening to this right now in Texas and Florida and Tennessee and from what I'm told, uh, North Carolina and Montana, this is your problem, too, because guess where all the hemorrhaging is flowing to? You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. The Sturgis Motorcycle Rally was a super spreader event, they say. A super spreader event. This was in South Dakota back in August. And there are stories out there that are now claiming 266,796 cases of COVID-19 are directly attributable to the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally in South Dakota. Yahoo News here says it's a super spreader event. Worst case scenarios at rally could link event to 266,000 cases. Study finds that was in the Washington Post. Lots of these stories. Lots of these stories. But uh, guess what? It's all crap. It's all nonsense. It's a bunch of economists, libs, who got together and figured, well, Let's just assume that anywhere where these people traveled, where there was more COVID, areas where there was more COVID, not individual infections that they can actually trace. Just, you know, if you went back to such and such a place and then there were more COVID infections happening there, they just added it all up. It is completely outrageous. But it's, it's useful, too, that they do this because they show us what a bunch of frauds they are. The libs in the expert class, in this case, economists, who if you want to find out something that's useless, ask an economist a question. Uh, $12.2 billion, they say, it costs in public health. So this, this motorcycle rally, which, you know, it's motorcycles, I'm assuming it's mostly outdoors, this caused enormous damage. Uh, but it didn't. And in fact, even some libs have had to admit, yeah, we're not going to be able to make this one stick. We're not going to be able to continue with this one. 
you know, they, they'd like this is back in August 7th. And they're saying that because of all these attendees, uh, they a working paper by economist Deval Dave and his colleagues says that this led to two hundred and sixty six thousand seven hundred ninety six new cases. First of all, the, the specificity of that number on its face is laughable. They have no idea how many cases there's no way they could trace this. But they claim it, it was a staggering 19 percent of these cases over a four week period after the event. And as I said, it cost 12 billion dollars based on the estimate of, co- of treating a covid patient. OK, a lot of social media naming and blaming over this one, right? A lot of libs saying, see, those big, smelly, evil motorcycle Trump supporter men were just spreading the covid. They were probably drinking their beer and waving their American flags on their Harley Davidsons and just spitting COVID at each other like like barbarians. That's pretty much what the libs are saying. That's pretty much their view of all of this. But there's a big problem with it. It is really hard, basically impossible to accurately model the spread of this virus when, first of all, most people only spread it to one person. And if you spread it to more than one person, that's a very high R number when they look at transmissions of this. If they could that accurately describe it, well, tell me how many people in America got infected because of Chinese nationals arriving here. Do we have a number for that? No, we don't have a number. We have no idea. We have no idea. Uh, They also don't account for things like school reopening. They also don't account... I mean, look, they account for basically nothing, uh, nothing going on here. I mean, even in Slate, even Slate, which is left wing, says it relies on strong assumptions that rarely hold in the real world. For one thing, there are many other differences between counties full of bike rally fans versus those with none. And therein lies the challenge of creating a good counterfactual for the implied experiment. How to compare trends in counties that are different on many geographic, social and economic dimensions. The parallel trends assumption assumes that every county was on a similar trajectory. And the only difference was the number of attendees sent to the Sturgis rally. When this parallel trends assumption is violated, the resulting estimates are not just off by a little. They are they can be completely wrong. The burden of proof for these assumptions is very high. More critically, the paper assumes the noise in COVID-19 cases from different counties averages out over time and thus comparing the trends is valid. We all probably know by now that epidemic curves are not predictable and are heavily dependent on the luck of floating wildfire embers, so to speak. This approach may work for changes in the uptake of state benefits or other outcomes traditionally analyzed by difference in difference designs, but not for the outcomes that are serially correlated like wildfires, wildfires or epidemics. Thus, this idea that even if the parallel trends assumption held differences in COVID-19 cases across counties are fully attributable to the rally. It's a strong ask. The reality is that somewhere between zero and four hundred and fifty thousand infections may have resulted. But that's not a good headline. End quote. Yeah, that's this is a giant guess from a bunch of economists. I don't know crap. And to say that there are assumptions, I mean, they're just. This is just plugging. This is garbage in, garbage out. Plugging in a bunch of numbers. They they plug in, okay, there are all these attendees. And oh gosh, look in the whole area around North Dakota, there's been a whole lot of COVID cases in the month after this. Well, was it at the beginning of a surge in cases in the state anyway? 
I mean, to, to call this sloppy analysis is an insult to sloppiness. And everybody at some level kind of knows it. But it was too delicious for the media to ask any questions. They say, oh, we're just reporting on it, man. It's just a study. Yeah. Absolute crap. Absolute nonsense. But it was reported by the largest news outlets in the country. Why is that? Um, And then there's the other part of this, too. Oh, so the Sturgis rally can spread COVID, but BLM protests can't, huh? Did these economists run their model on the BLM protests that have been going on for months all across the country? No, they didn't. Why is that? Oh, gosh, I don't know. Maybe because they're a bunch of libs luxuriating in confirmation bias. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Oh, but they just wanted to they wanted to come up with some explanation for this. They say they found that cases increased by 3.6 to 3.9 per 1,000 in South Dakota in the three weeks after the rally. Um, to put this number in perspective, New York State has recorded as many cases in the last week, even with its lockdown rules. South Dakota still has the, among the lowest per capita death rates in the country and fewer deaths in, in cases per capita than its neighbors, Nebraska and North Dakota. Folks, this whole thing, the... The entire study is is a preposterous joke that any intelligent person sees and rips apart. But the libs all reported on it because they liked it. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Cancel Netflix. It's trending on social media. It's become a major national conversation. What did Netflix do? For most of us, it's been... What we watch while we stuff uh, all kinds of chicken tenders and mac and cheese and ice cream to excess in our mouths during this covid pandemic. But they make all kinds of programming decisions. And sometimes those decisions, well, to call it inexplicable, might be far too generous. Other words you could certainly use. Tiana Lowe is with us now to discuss. She is a commentary writer at The Washington Examiner. Uh, Tiana. Thanks for joining. What is cuties on Netflix and why is everyone on the right, at least, including me, shocked? So I watched cuties so that you all don't have to. And fuck what I can tell you is I currently need a lobotomy and a Xanax. It was easily the most disgusting piece of pop culture I have ever seen. What is it? Folks don't even necessarily know. Tell them. Well, what are, what are you seeing? So it won the Best Director Award at Sundance. It's a French film um, directed and written and about a uh, French Muslim girl of Senegalese origin. And it is the sort of French godless leftist dichotomy of a hyper sacred religious extremist form of sexism and then also a secular anti-religious form of sexism it is about this girl group they're all 11 year old girls prepubescent girls who form a dance team but this is not a it's not ballet this is not jazz this is the kind of twerking and outfits that would not look out of place in a cardi b music video um 
And basically the plot is that religion is bad and sexist and that it's empowering to be 11 dancing sexually for adults. Now, I, I it's all over social media. So if you go on now on Twitter, for example, for the folks listening, you'll probably see some of these clips. And, and I, I've got to say uh, the, the, the dance moves. I, I actually think that that much considerably older women um, in, a, in a dance program, for example, like high school age girls would be told you can't do this. These girls are 11. Yeah, they're 11. And, you know, I think that we're used to seeing coming of age stories where you have 16 year olds who are actually portrayed by 18 year olds or 20 year olds. And in a way that makes some of these movies less uncomfortable. You have stuff like Game of Thrones, where they try and accurately depict sexual objectification or rape and they came under a lot of fire for that the thing that makes this film so creepy and weird is that there is this tacit acknowledgement that they're pushing the line but they're luxuriating and doing it you know there, there have been plenty of good films that have come out about the very real problem of childhood sexual assault um but the way that this is filmed it does not treat it like objectification is a bad thing, but I, I there's think, the acknowledgement that they. Uh, no, I'm, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, and this this is a. <laughs> who's watching this? I don't mean the Netflix show because obviously you had to, people are watching it now to understand what's being promoted within our culture. But there are adults. I mean, I'm assuming are there parents showing up to these things, or how, how does that piece of this dance troupe work? So okay, mind you, this movie has a ninety percent fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes from critics. It has 5% wow. from users. So there's just a map. And, you know, the New Yorker wrote a piece where they called this movie revelatory and they were lauding it for this directorial debut saying that, oh, the right is triggered because they cannot handle the idea of women of color reclaiming the narrative of what it means to be French no, we can't stand this because it's about two and a half degrees away from being soft core child pornography. I mean, do, do, is this tantamount to like a, a, a pedophile's, uh, you know, a, a entry level video? I mean, how bad is the stuff you see in the movie? Oh, it's it, it's pretty close to that, I would say. It's not just the dance scenes. There are scenes where you're watching 11 year old girls view stuff that that involves nudity and borders on actual pornography um, and just like the salaciousness with, with which it's done. There have been plenty of movies depicting childhood romances and all and coming of age. This is not that. This is performative and it's meant for adults. This is not a movie that is meant for children. Now, why do you think, and we're speaking to Tina Lowe of the Washington Examiner, why, why do you think, Tina, that the critics... What do they see? Because I just saw some of the clips on Twitter that people are sending around now saying, look at how gross this is. And I, I like, look, I watch Game of Thrones. I like to think that I'm, I'm not a I'm not one of the more prudish conservatives that that does this for a living, uh, you know, commentary. Um, I saw this stuff on the, the video clips that I, had. I was like, this is this is some weirdo, unacceptable stuff going on here. Why do the critics like it? So. Mind you, there is a pretty long tradition in French cinema and art. I mean, 
in living memory, Simone de Beauvoir and Jean-Paul Sartre, they all signed letters petitioning the French government to not raise the age of consent so that way 14-year-olds can't have sex with adults. It is a long tradition in the French intelligentsia to sexualize children as some sort of part of post-liberal world order. So that is largely, thank God, been purged from a lot of the cinematic world. And for instance, a film like like Louis Malle's Pretty Baby, which was Brooke Shields' debut, in which she depicted a 12-year-old prostitute who had very explicit sex scenes, something like that I don't think would be ever made stateside today. But still, there is an elite fascination with the idea that children are, I mean, we're seeing this in California, where they have a state Senate bill trying to make it so that way if a man has a same-sex sexual encounter with a child, so long as they're within 10 years of age between each other, it doesn't have to be tried as an outright statutory rape. So this is still sort of persisting. This is the, this is the quiet part of the Me Too movement that doesn't get said out loud because children cannot vouch for themselves. People have been complaining on the right about Drag Queen Story Hour for a while now, going back, I think, a couple of years and they say it's a slippery slope, guys, when you got drag queen story hour with little kids, you know, little kids are being exposed to things that they can't understand that they should be protected from. Uh, is is there now just you think a an effort underway, you know, and, and it's tough to say when you talk about things like an effort, who's responsible for it? Well, we're seeing things like this movie, like this movie that we're talking or is it a show movie, whatever uh, that we're talking about? It's a movie at one Sundance. Um are they trying to normalize uh, underage sexuality? Is that is that what the left is doing? I mean, what's the goal as you see it? I don't know if this is a new push so much as it is. The Internet has made it a lot easier to expose these things when they happen. If anything, it's probably clear that we're making a lot of cultural progress with regards to cultural American values and Hollywood. We are seeing finally a pretty popular rejection of Disney's Mulan, which was filmed in Xinjiang and which openly capitalized on the oppression of Uyghur Muslims. Um, With regards to the drag queen story hour, I mean, I think we're probably making a lot more progress when it comes to stigmatizing the sexualization of children from 30, 40 years ago, but we just now have the internet where everything is fast and it is free. So we are a lot, and maybe it's it's bad to call it progress, but it is what it is. It's probably now more stigmatized now to accept some of these cultural acts than it was previously. The main concern now really just comes to parenting. How do you ensure that your children, when they have a phone, they have access to the world? How do you parent right so they aren't exposed to this? Tina Lowe at the Washington Examiner. Tina, you're writing on this, right? Yes, I am. Peace will be out today. Check it out. WashingtonExaminer.com. Also, she's a contributor to the first. Tina, thanks so much. Thanks, Buck. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Why would Portland ban facial recognition? Anybody want to take a guess at that? Well, why would the city of Portland say no facial recognition uh, allowed for people in public? Uh, facial recognition software, you know, using technology for this. 
Does that seem pretty bizarre to you? If you're out in public, you're already being videotaped constantly, right? There's a uh, there's there are cameras all over the place. And if you're in public, you have no expectation of privacy, at least for your presence. So people can videotape you. And if they say there could be audio surveillance as well, there's you know signs for that. You can even have that going on. So what the heck is going on here? Why would, and they're calling it on on foxnews.com, the first in the nation facial recognition ban for Portland, uh, barring the public use of this. So so law enforcement can't do this. I see two immediate applications of this. It's effectively two applications that are not allowed as a result of this that are clearly showing you what the left's priorities are. For one, why would Portland, Mayor Ted Wheeler, the city council there, a bunch of leftist lunatics, why would they take it upon themselves to ban facial recognition technology usage by the authorities? Oh, because you see, the reason the mob, also known as Democrat and Biden voters, the reason the mob feels so safe doing what they do, destroying, attacking, burning, looting. is because when they're in this big group, especially if they have masks on and they're all dressed in black because they're Antifa and they're in black block tactic and whatever. They feel like they're not going to get caught. They're not going to get caught. How can you? When you got video of somebody with a with a face fully covered and running around. Oh, that that seems right. That seems uh, very hard to do. But sometimes they show up and in fact, they don't have face coverings on. So you can use facial recognition. So why wouldn't you allow the authorities to do that? Because even still, you know, if you have people out there riding and looting and doing these things, and even if they just pull their mask down just for a moment, right, you can get that facial recognition. You can track them down. You can hold them accountable for this left-wing political activity. The law could be brought to bear. They don't want that to happen. They do not want the usage of facial recognition technology because then you don't, you don't have to have people Oh, we're going to do a lineup and how do we find this person and where are they and all this other stuff? We need witnesses. No, you just have a video of the scene, people looting and burning and doing stuff. And anyone whose mask comes down or isn't wearing a mask, guess what? You run them through your database. If they've been arrested before, bingo. One more Antifa thug you can take off the streets. They don't like that. They don't like this. Unacceptable to them. Oh, Why is that? You're in a public place. Why isn't the government allowed to think about this? The same government authorities that want to make sure that you are, as in my case, going through a mandatory quarantine, getting text messages from the trace authorities, telling you that you can't leave your home, making all these demands of you. Those same people are worried about your right to not have anyone know your face, who you are in public while you're looting and breaking stuff. Uh, The rioters right to privacy. Who knew? Who knew this was such a thing? Portland, I swear. 
a place that really could be so charming and could be so lovely. But it turns out it's got more than its fair share of loony libs. But then there's also the ban on, uh, this is from Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler and City Commissioner Joanne Hardesty. They've announced this ban. All city agencies effective right now and will be effective January 1st for private businesses. Why would private businesses want to use facial recognition technology? Well, I've got a guess. I've got an idea about this. My local grocery store. Right? I go into the grocery store. You know what? You can see if you just are at the right angle and you're really looking, you can see behind the main counter a number of photos of people who are known shoplifters. People who come into the store and steal stuff. I'm sure you've seen this in other stores as well. Now, Think about what it would do for a business if someone is caught on camera stealing and they don't necessarily have to stop that person and, you know, wrestle them to the ground and deal with all that. And, oh, my gosh, citizens arrest. What are they doing? They can't do that. Right. All this. You have to deal with that. But at least then, you know, the next time the person comes in, you could get an alert on your system that you have a shoplifter. And that's a very that changes the dynamic a lot, doesn't it? Or even better. It's one thing to tell the police, hey, we got a guy shoplifting. We got him on video. Here's his photo. Remember, the police can't use facial recognition either. But it's another thing to say, hey, we ran this person in our software. This is the this is the individual, according to our software, who stole from us today. Here's here's their name. You know, you can find their address and all the rest of it. Right. Or or we have a match. Even we don't know the name, but we have a match to the person who stole a week ago. And then the police can start to. They don't want accountability for this. You see, they're on the side of criminality. Once again, the left has developed a very clear sympathy for criminal behavior, for breaking the laws, for predatory acts against our fellow Americans by people that think that the rules don't apply to them. I can't even go into the drugstore in my corner and get any product that's worthwhile. It feels like I mean, anything. If I want laundry detergent, if I want chocolate, I'm not kidding you. Chocolate. It's under lock and key in the store. I have to get someone to come over and open it up so I can get my, you know, lint chocolate squares. If I want razor blades, if I want uh, any number of medicine, lock and key, lock and key. You know, they don't put the paper towel under lock and key yet. Or there's some things that are bulky and not worth stealing in the same way, I guess. But think about what it would mean if everybody who comes in there knows if you steal, they're going to have your face on the system and they'll know if you come back. Portland doesn't want that. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. How bad could it get if Trump wins and Democrats just refuse to accept it? People are going to start to throw around the word coup. Is that possible? Is that going to happen? We've got our friend David Reboy in the mix right now. He's going to address that and more with us. He's a political commentator. David, good to have you back on the show. Great to be with you. 
So, you know, there was this piece, uh, what was it, a Michael Anton piece, the coming coup. Take us through this thinking. What are what are people, political analysts, commentators on the right seeing as a possibility? What do you see as a possibility if Democrats lose this election? Sure. I think the seeds of this were really planted um, several months ago. You may even say several years ago with um, with something as seemingly innocent and absurd as uh, Stacey Abrams refusing to concede in Georgia, in the Georgia gubernatorial race. And many of us thought, hey, this is crazy. This is someone who is untethered from reality. But um, the, the purpose of that little kind of mini campaign was to alert Democrat partisans that, you know, hey, look, the Republicans are disenfranchising minority voters and they're doing it in a systematic way to the point where you can have an ill, you know, where, where you can have many people, establishment kind of legitimate people believing that there was uh, actually a stolen election in, uh, in in the state of Georgia. We, we saw it from the top, the very top of uh, Democrats, uh, uh, Democrat politicians, all the way to commentators, and it's just been conventional wisdom. So that that idea with Stacey Abrams was to sort of implant it into the minds of people that yes, Republicans want to disenfranchise, Republicans want to steal your votes. Uh, fast forward to now, when after the virus, they uh, uh, Democrats and, and never Trumpers and, and really the left sat down and they said, you know what, we're going to concentrate fully on making sure that we have mail-in ballots. And mail-in voting is, in everyone who is not, um, a, you know, a total Democrat partisan will tell you that, that mail-in voting is kind of um, an invitation to fraud. Had they been really serious about being um, uh had they been serious about wanting to come up with a system in which people who are concerned about the virus and, and older folks who didn't want to go out to the polls vote, then they, they could have launched a campaign saying, hey, uh, make sure that you get a legitimate absentee ballot and vote that way. But they didn't want to do that. Instead, they want to do fraud. So which brings us to the coup and, and Anton's great kind of viral essay that, that, that has been uh, all around the Internet for the last uh, couple of days. Uh, in which he kind of lays out a pattern, and it's a it's a really sobering pattern of Democrats at the highest levels, basically saying, you know what, we're not going to concede no matter what happens on um, on election day, and you already have you already have a lot of Democrat Party messaging going out and saying that you know what, Trump could win in a landslide on election night, but don't worry. Uh, he will certainly lose. You know, there will be a red mirage that will disappear within a few days or weeks, based on the um, based on the the, the result of the mail-in voting. So they're gaming out scenarios in which there is no way that Trump will win, and they're also gaming out scenarios in which there is no way that Joe Biden will concede, even if he loses, even if he loses legitimately. So we're going into a really dark period in American history right now. And I think the more people talk about it um, in advance of it happening, the better, because we really don't want to be caught flat footed here. Speaking of David Reboys, political commentators down 
in Florida joining us now. Uh, speaking of that, David, how is Florida looking these days? I see, obviously, in most of the polling, it's considered a toss-up, but you're on the ground there. Any idea how you think it's uh, currently trending? So I definitely think it's trending red. Um, I think I, I, I said on Twitter that I was not at all surprised when the new polling is out saying that, uh, that, uh, that Trump is doing very, very well in, uh, in Dade County here in Miami uh, with, with Hispanic voters um, and Latino voters in general. And I think that's, that has a lot to do with, I don't think it has to do with the Cuban population and socialism and, and, and things like that. Um, I think it has more to do with the law and order message of the Trump campaign and the fact that the Democrats are very clearly against cops, very clearly against law enforcement. And a lot of folks uh, down here who, um, who are in law enforcement are Hispanic and Latino. It's just a very, um, it's, it's a kind of very popular profession down here. And, um, and as soon as a political party is seen as going after cops and going after law enforcement the way the Democrats have, then I'm sorry, uh, you're going to lose a lot of support from these people. What do you see as the and back to that that coup point for a second? I want to ask you this. What do you see as a worst case scenario Democrat plan of action if sure enough, election night, Biden loses and let's say what a, a week passes and there's not some avalanche of mail in ballots that they can point to? How do you think that plays out if, if they just go to. From resistance to obstinacy, intransigence, we're just not going to accept this. I mean, I think their their plan is to follow a a um, a color revolution plan, and there have been a couple pieces uh, in uh, in Revolver, the new the new site, that kind of um, trace the the lineage of of what color uh, color revolutions are, um, uh, usually in um, usually in in Eastern Europe and in other parts of the world. And what really what that means is it's it's a tactic by way of delegitimizing a government that is said to be authoritarian. So they say you guys are authoritarians. So we're now going to put people into the streets. We're going to um, we're going to tell everybody that you have in fact stolen the vote. And the other thing is we're going to showcase police brutality. So this is exactly the playbook that the Democrats are. Um, uh, um, uh, have undertaken over the last uh, over the last year, really. Um, whether or not it's going to work, I'm not sure. I happen to think that they're overplaying their hand right now. Um, I think that as Trump is gaining in the polls, it is a reaction to um, it, the the, um, the 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 riots, the the inability of Democrats to uh, um, uh, you know to to rein in their most hardcore and, and 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 violent supporters on one hand on the other hand is really i mean the democratic party is the party of the radical left and the people who want to tear down statues those people aren't voting republican and i think just like we saw in the uk last year when given a choice between patriots and anti-patriots americans just like the british chose will will, will choose uh will, will choose the patriots um, and I also think that by then, after the election, no matter what happens, people will have, you know, the, the patience of most Americans has, um, I mean, nobody wants the riots anymore. 
Nobody wants the street action. Nobody is thrilled by, you know, BLM protesters burning down cities. No, that's, the, you know, whatever uh, spasm of guilt that, uh, that, that happened in America after the, uh, the killing of George Floyd and, and, you know, throughout the summer, all that is gone. All the sympathy is gone and people no longer want to hear it. And, uh, and no matter how much the Democrats hate Trump and how, matter, uh, how much they're, they're willing to burn the country to the ground if he wins again, I really don't think that the American people will will stand behind them. I think they've kind of lost the um, the, the, the 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 sympathy of most Americans. David Reboy, follow him on social media and uh, look for his next magnum opus online. David, thanks so much for joining, man. We appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Thank you. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. To mask or not to mask, that is the question, is it not? Well, no, we're told we have to mask. It's, it's irresponsible not to. Okay, when, who, for how long, under what circumstances, all of that stuff. Okay, well, let's take a step. Let's take a step back for a minute, shall we? Let's take a step back. Uh, you might be able to convince me that masking indoors when there's high risk people around i don't know maybe it maybe it works pretty well fine okay outside still never seen any real evidence that it works all right but what about for little tiny babies should we should we force masks on little i mean little itty bitty babies uh, you had a video that went viral yesterday in the U, from the uk of a family i believe a south a- south asian family of of British citizenship and they were being hounded by police officers because they could not get their 19 month old baby to mask up on a plane. Now let's, let's, let's pull. Oh, and and they result, not only did they threaten the family and say, sorry, these are the rules, but you have to get off the plane or else, you know, if you don't mask him, uh, and and I, I'm not sure if they threatened prison, uh, jail for them, but they definitely were, you know, you, you do this or it was an or else situation. Mask up your 19, your 19 month old. I don't know that much about kids because I don't have any, but I know when you're 19 months, you're like a little, you know, a little squishy thing that wears a onesie, right? You're a tiny, tiny kid. I don't think you walk or anything. I don't know. I don't know how old 19 months olds are, but that's little. And. God, I sound like one of these, like the old Uncle Bachelor who's like, yeah, you know, the kid is 19 months. He's, you know, he's probably old enough to drive, right? I don't know anything. But when you're 19 months old, I know it's tough to get you to wear a mask. I also know that you're basically no risk by the science whatsoever to transmit COVID to anybody. And if you get COVID, you're also at effectively zero risk. Effective zero risk, right? Okay. And now we get to what happened. They shut down the whole flight. They told everybody off the plane, the 19-month-old baby is not masking up. And I say, okay, let's take this apart for a minute. Because I just flew a few times. I I was on four flights in the last week. So I know know the deal. I know the process. And that brings me to this. Um, Explain to me, please... Explain to me why it is that you have to have a 19-month-old baby masked up 
But you can sit there, as many people do, with a Coca-Cola in your hand and your mask pulled down for as long as you feel like, and that's fine. Think about what these rules are really telling you. And I know people are sick of the mask talk and everything else. Well, okay, are, are we sick of stupid tyrants running our lives and, and sometimes ruining them? Because I'm sick of that. Mask up or else. Put a mask on your baby. If you don't put a mask on your baby, you're a bad person. You're somebody who cannot be trusted. You have to be kicked off the plane. Well, I'm sorry. I, I refuse to see the absurdity here and not take action. I refuse to see the situation and not call it out. There's a fellow named Yanan Weiss who has a thread on Twitter that I wanted to share with you about masks. And he, he just he's just presenting evidence because people might say, but why do you I try to be very fact and evidence based in all of my observations and conclusions. And I like to present you with why I think the way I do, which where I'm a I'm a skeptic that masks are worth the trade off. I am. I'm skeptical that they're worth. I'm not saying they do nothing, but I'm skeptical. And science, as it actually was practiced in studies until about four months ago, would have agreed with me in that position. But OK, here's what now it's all changed. Now you're you're a troglodyte if you don't. If you don't agree with the newly formed consensus on this, here's Yanon Weiss's Twitter thread. In science, observations drive conclusion. In politics, conclusions drive observations. A threat about masks. This is not advice not to wear a mask. It is simply sharing information. Share it before Twitter censors it. Okay. He says the politics of masks. There's this matrix he shared. And it has masks required. Cases up. It worked. We told you so. New York, Texas. I'm sorry. Cases down, rather. Masks required. Cases up. It worked. It would have been much worse without masks. Hawaii and Illinois, he cites here. Masks not required. Cases down. Georgia, Sweden. Ignore this. This is all the politics of masks. And masks not required. Cases up. That's what happens with no masks. Of course. That's that's what we're all supposed to believe. And that's what's really happened here. Um, so Yanon goes on to say nobody wants unnecessary deaths. Wearing a face covering isn't that hard to do. So what's the big deal? Why are we so divided or divided? Yanon Weiss goes on for one. It's hard to know who to trust. Many officials wear masks when they think the cameras are on them, but then take them off when they think the cameras are off. Dr. Fauci has been caught doing this multiple times chicago's mayor and the media were all caught taking off their masks and violating social distancing as soon as their press conference ended and they thought the cameras were off yeah we've seen other people do this in the white house press corps keeps happening some politicians and health officials are so desperate to make people believe in masks that they doctor up charts to make their case even when their own data actually undermines them it's no wonder people lose trust in some health officials. And he notes that Kansas Democrats put forward a covid chart that was just false. It just, you know, the state health secretary juiced the numbers 
to make the governor's mask mandate look successful. So they're lying to you. And you should always be concerned when public officials are, are lying to you. Um, so what is the actual science, Yanon writes, behind masks? Let's look at some of the hard research. And perhaps Twitter won't censor me for sharing scientific studies. The Center for Evidence-Based Medicine at Oxford summarized six international studies which show that masks alone have no significant effect in interrupting the spread of ILI or influenza in the general population, nor in healthcare workers. Very large study out of a super fringe place called Oxford University. Okay. Oxford went on to say that despite two decades of pandemic preparedness, there is considerable uncertainty as to the value of wearing masks, worrying that this has left the field wide open for the play of opinions, radical views and political influence. A study of healthcare workers in over 1600 hospitals showed that cloth masks only filtered out three percent of particles. An article in the New England Journal of Medicine stated wearing a mask outside healthcare facilities offers little, if any, protection from infection. And the desire for widespread masking is a reflexive reaction to anxiety over a pandemic. And then he lists from Cambridge, from uh, the, uh, and, and the national, uh, the NCBI, the National Institute of Health, uh, all studies saying the same thing. Studies do show masks can help in the case of direct respiratory droplets, which would matter if somebody's coughing, breathing or sneezing directly on you in a confined space, but do not help in aerosols. Gee, that's the end quote there. But gee, you don't say. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Team Buck, it's time for roll call. Roll call, everyone. Everybody, roll call. Let's get it. Crack a lacking. Thank you so much for uh, joining us to this point in the show. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com if you want to email. Remember, you can go on Spotify. You can go on the iHeartRadio app and uh, the Apple Podcasts. You can always download the show, watch, uh, listen to it, and uh, please do so. So with that, now let's get to what we got in the roll call. Joseph. Hey, Buck, I've listened to you since 2015. Wow. And must say, congratulations on your success thus far in your career informing citizens like me with facts and nuance and i've certainly learned more from you than from my public school education this message is mainly due to your horrible experience with the barbecue you've recently had in north carolina you're going to be hard pressed to find good barbecue at all at any large restaurant but will find delicious vinegar and pepper based barbecue at one of our many hog cookings around the state where the real homegrown natives cook for pride not money and they know their pork will be judged harshly. Joseph, sounds great, man. Invite me to a hog cooking at some point. That sounds, sounds like there's delicious. I mean, pork, I don't know. I like beef so much because of steak and burgers, but pork is definitely my second favorite meat. 
And it might even be my favorite meat because it's so versatile. There's so many different things you get from pork. Bacon, pork chops, pulled pork, pork and beans. I don't know. Uh, you could have stopped at bacon. Yeah, I know. The, the, you know, pork may be, if I could only have one meat for the rest of my life, is it? Producer Mark, do you go with beef or do you go with pork? Out of those two, probably pork. But, I mean, chicken's got to be in the mix there somewhere too, right? I mean, chicken is like the is like the vanilla ice cream of meats. It's always good and it's useful for a lot of things. But do you really get that excited about it? That's a good point. I'll give you that. But it's yeah. the most versatile meat, is my point. Most, most versatile. Yeah, it's the one I eat the most. I'm yeah. sure. You know, and anyway. it's the, probably the healthiest. Yeah, man, I'm I'm getting hungry just thinking about that. I'm gonna make myself a burger. It's burger time. Kyle Buck, you brought up the peaceful ninety three percent. How about this comparison by asking a simple question? Which has the higher percentage of wrongful violence, BLM protests or police interactions with unarmed black men? I have to wonder if the body count from the former actually outnumbers the latter in 2020. I bet my money that it does. Um, BLM protests or police interactions with unarmed black men? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, so you're saying, Kyle, that if you were to look, I mean, the number of police interactions across the country is in the millions every year. I think it might even stretch into the tens of millions of police interactions with civilians every year in this country. So it's like 20, you know, I don't know. I don't know the actual number, but it would be you know, 20 or 30 million a year interactions with cops. Uh, and it may even be higher than that. And you have... Certainly less than 100, usually less than 50, and as low as about a dozen unarmed black men killed by cops every year in America. I can't do the math on that off the top of my head, but it is very, very small. And as I've pointed out to you more, this is just a this is a a a straight statistical analysis. There are more people killed by lightning in America every year than there are unarmed black men killed by police in america every year and you know we have that phrase you know oh my gosh struck by lightning because it's like the most random occurrence and what could you ever do more people struck by lightning than unarmed black men killed by police so i I think that puts it into some context as to how that doesn't mean if someone gets struck by lightning and dies that's horrible right the family is shattered and that's a terrible thing if an unarmed black man gets killed by police and he wasn't attacking cops or doing something illegal, that's terrible, and they should be punished to the full extent of the law. But it's not indicative of our entire police system at all. Not even close. And it's delusional to claim that it is. But that's the central premise of the BLM movement, absolutely central to it. Jammy, hello. I am writing from Switzerland. Uh, I just wanted to say that I listen almost every day. I appreciate yours and producer Mark's hard work along with anyone else working with you guys. Shields high. Oh, and I love Tallulah. Well, thank you so much, Jam. It, wait, it probably is Jamie, right? Yeah, I J- think a- Jamie. Yeah, it's Jamie. <laughs> I'm going to put on my jammies and go to bed. J- sorry, Jamie, obviously. Obviously, Buck. Thank you so much for writing in. And yeah, I love Tallulah, too. She was looking very cute yesterday. I took some photos of her, which is why you should follow me on Instagram if you don't already. Yeah. All right. Erica, I had to laugh about your comments on the name Ethel. I run a dog boarding kennel, and I have had an Ethel and a Eunice 
Leroy, Rufus, and Otto as well. People love to use old-fashioned, out-of-popularity names for their pets. I, I could see that. I could see that. Uh, Otto is a cool name. You don't hear a lot of people named Otto. Otto's and a cool name for a dog. I think it's a cool name. Otto von Bismarck. Come on, that's a cool name. Ethel, Eunice, uh, Dolores. I feel like you never hear anyone named Dolores anymore. You know? Uh, I think there's a good reason for that, and there's an entire Seinfeld episode about it. Are you serious? I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Really? I, I don't think I can explain why correctly on the air without getting an FCC violation. Esther, as producer Nick points out, another one. Uh, that's, a, that's another name you don't hear a lot of these days. Let me think. What else is in the mix for that one? Archibald? I feel like you don't meet guys named Archibald anymore. Um, well, maybe you do because they're called Archie. Yeah, but Archie's still an old-timey name. Yeah, true. Well, we'll have to see. Anyway, Erica, I'm sure the dog named Ethel is very, very cute. Uh, somebody, some famous person is named... There's a, like a young celebrity kid, I think, named Tallulah now. Someone named their kid Tallulah. I forget who it is. But it's definitely a thing that happened out there. I so, thought you were going to say a fan of this show named their kid Tallulah it's a great name there was Tallulah Bankhead who was an actress and that's why my parents got the name I believe so that's where I wonder if there's going to be any children bucks now because of you there should be <laughs> just saying it's a great name great name very very masculine name it is not not a lot of people named for a member of the animal kingdom you know you don't have a lot of that you don't have a lot of people walking around named coyote or uh I guess there is wolf so there's wolf that's a name that people will have uh, but it's not short for Wolfgang or not always. There are other animals. You know, you can name your kid. Uh, oh, Bruce Willis's daughter, producer, uh, producer Nick says Tallulah Willis. Huh. Tallulah Bell Willis. Cool name. I got to say, cool name. Um, all right. What do we have here next? Uh, Clifford, you asked today, where do we go? Tennessee, baby. Clifford, I think if I were to go to Tennessee, it would be Williamson County, I think it's called, just south of Nashville. Very beautiful, very red, close enough to Nashville that you can go in for the shows and the food, but it's a redder area, so I, I think Williamson County sounds pretty nice to me. And uh, Tennessee's a great... I've only been to Nashville once. I love Tennessee. I thought it was a great state. Really enjoyed it. Richard, Buck, happy Hoosier hellos. I hope you rode a moose across a beaver dam while juggling hatchets to impress snow princess because that's what people in montana do right all kidding aside i have a question for you how many steve schmitz are there in the republican party today correct me if i'm wrong but steve schmidt helped orchestrate the demise of the mccain campaign he helped sarah palin go from a folksy conservative to an absolutely idiotic crazy woman then he was rewarded with that job at MSNBC, and how, it, how is it that he gets to have a Northwestern, Northwestern totem in his living room, Shields High? Uh, well, Richard, you know a lot more about Steve Schmidt than I do. I certainly haven't seen this living room setup that he must have for his TV hits. Uh, how many stupid Republican consultants are there? I don't know the answer, but I know it's far too many. I know that there's no shortage of dumbasses taking money to pretend they know more about politics than they do. So there's that. I think we all have to remember that. I think that's uh, important. 
Thank you so much for uh, for writing in. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Team, more roll call coming your way now. Linda, aloha, Buck. Listen to the show today. Loved it as always. Wanted to let you know Hawaii as a state is completely shut down again, and Honolulu, once a thriving tourism hub, is closed. Stay at home orders again. Uh, articles are saying it could be 10 years before it comes back. And just when things couldn't get any dumber, the mayor, Kirk Caldwell, said now it's okay to go swimming and hiking by yourself, but not with anyone else in your household. Oh, my God. I didn't know that. That's, that is one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. Swimming and hiking alone has never been a good idea. Earlier this summer, they closed the beach but left restaurants and gyms open. Now it's all closed. Could go on and on with the backwardness of the state, but it would be pointless. Very sorry for all the military members and retirees there. M- morale is way down as the military is suffering through these insane mandates as well. It's all, all self-inflicted at this point. We should just open up, folks. Open it all up. Let people go back to living their lives. That's what should happen. I know there would be cases and bad things would happen, but there are going to be cases and bad things are going to happen anyway. What are we doing? Protect the vulnerable. Make precaution, put precautions in place. Make uh, the necessary arrangements for people who are at higher risk. That would be a sane response to all of this. That would be a reasonable approach to all of this. That's certainly not what we're going to have. Stephen, great show. The White House press corps was particularly vicious and apoplectic today. They smell blood in the political water with the Woodward book. Kelly handled them with her usual aplomb and grace. She is so much smarter than them. Yes, Stephen. Kelly is indeed uh, much smarter than the members of the White House press corps, but there are many more of them than there are her. So that's always a challenge. Uh, that's always a, a difficult a difficult situation. And indeed, let's see what we got here. We have some more coming in. This via Instagram. Uh, via Instagram, we have Frank who writes, Buenos dias from sunny South Florida, Buck and producer Mark. Trump is winning the Latino vote down here. Bank on it. Trump flags are everywhere. No way Cubans and Venezuelans are voting for socialism. No way. Shields high. Frank, thank you so much for writing in. That would be great. If Trump wins the Latino vote in Florida, that would be such a beautiful repudiation of the Democrats. Disgusting tactics and all of this. Producer Mark, did you tell me, is, is, is Naples where you're going to go in Florida when you move down there? Is that the move? What's the move? Uh, I think more south, maybe like the Delray Beach general area, ah, like Fort Delray. Lauderdale. Ooh, ooh, Delray Beach. Uh. Delray Beach, so nice. like it so much. Is West Palm nice? That, that's kind of in the same area, yeah. West Palm, Fort Lauderdale, all the general, same general area. I know Palm Beach is very nice, but unless you've been stealing from a cartel drug lord and stashing away cash for years, the beachfront real estate there, producer Mark, is uh, pretty expensive. Yeah, I believe you're thinking of Boca. Um, That's the, uh, the very expensive area. Well, Palm Beach is very well, expensive. Well, Palm Beach County in general, yes. Yeah, Palm Beach is very expensive. Boca is very expensive. 
That sounds nice. Jupiter's supposed to be very nice, too. I love watching these shows that, that have the rest of the country where people buy the house. They're like, oh, gosh, like, Timmy and Sally need to buy a house. They've got a budget of $250,000. Oh, like, yeah, HGTV. It, when I used to have cable, oh, I used to watch it all the time. I, I love it. I love watching those shows. And there was a house, I still remember, there was a house that somebody bought in Richmond. I mean, it was pretty pricey. It was like a $400,000 house, I think, maybe three fifty. But it was an old colonial on land close to downtown. And I was just like, this is amazing. You can't even buy a studio apartment in Manhattan for $350,000. One room. Can't even do it. Yeah, you're basically in a closet for that much money. Yeah, but if you go to Richmond, oh, you get the most. You get it's like not just Richmond. It's anywhere else. You've got a beautiful palace. I know. When I was in North Carolina, the folks there, were, I was saying, if I moved to North Carolina, what would be the... They kept saying Wilmington. Wilmington, North Carolina. They said it's on the beach, beautiful town, great weather, great people. You know, uh, Donald Trump's son, Eric's wife, is actually from there. And she's, a, she's, there, she's a proud daughter of the city of Wilmington, North Carolina. Not to be confused with Wilmington, Delaware, because then you're in Delaware, which is not quite as exciting. Although the Delaware beaches are kind of a hidden gem on the East Coast. They're very nice. People don't know, don't know, but those Delaware beaches are actually the, the actual beach. Put aside the whether you like the um, the specific town or not. The beach is quite lovely. I've heard good things about like Rehoboth Beach. I think it's called Rehoboth is beautiful. I've oh, been Rehoboth. A beautiful beach. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So anyway, Frank, I hope you're right. And I hope that uh, Trump does win the Latino vote because, oh, it would be amazing just to watch the libs heads explode. Um, so Fernando writes, what's up, Brosif? So Dr. Fauci wants us to know that folks tend to be stupid and careless over the holidays. So mind the mitigation. That's right. You got to mind the mitigation. You got to do everything you can. You got to make sure that you're doing enough mitigating. You're doing enough, uh, of all the, of all the mitigation things. You keeping the mitigation stuff like that. Unless you're going to be on the cover of a magazine then, you know, you got to do what you got to do. Got to mind the mitigation. Uh, all right, everybody, that's going to be the show for today. Thank you so much for uh, joining us, for writing in, for hanging out. We appreciate it, as always. Please do pass the buck. And uh, if you can get us to the younger generation in particular, if you got kids that are teenagers or older, uh, tell them to check out this guy, Buck Sexton. You can't just have everybody listening to, uh, you know, random comedian podcast we need some substance like here all right everybody shields high